My name is Bill, and I'm an alcoholic, and I'm sober through the grace of God and the fellowship and uh, people like you. I usually don't get nervous about these things. I uh, usually don't have lights as bright either. But this one here, I'm a little bit uptight of it, and I'm usually not. Uh, I'm usually in pretty good contact with this loving God that I have in my life. And Bob told part of my story, so I, might, I wasn't going to start take off there, but I might as well. Uh, Twenty-five years ago, there was a lady that I was married to who told me she was going to take me to a dance. Now, if you asked her, you'll get a different story. She'll probably tell you that she was going to uh, was a roundup and all that kind of stuff. But that ain't what I heard. I know what I say from this podium, but I don't know what you hear. And what I heard was she was taking me to a dance. So if there's any new people here, especially if it's your first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, I'm going to tell you something they told me, and I didn't believe them, that you never have to take another drink again the rest of your life. You have the same dreaded disease that I do if you don't want to. So I celebrated. This roundup used to be in the 1st of October. I went to the ninth annual roundup. It was at the Stardust. And I haven't found it necessary to take a drink since the first day I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. I'll tell you the rest of it. I did do some other stuff and changed my sobriety date. But before I forget it, I want to thank the committee, especially my good friend Stan, for uh, having me here. Uh, I'm one of those guys that's in the big book. They've got all the others described in there, and they got me. They've got some time quickly. The guy at 2 o'clock, you hear him, Butler, you know, he's sometime quickly. That's what his girl said. I mean, no, that's not true. I'm... He said that he said for me to be real careful because he follows me. you got some good speakers here this weekend. I think you're going to really enjoy this roundup. What I mean by that is you got some people that has a great message. But I do want to thank the roundup, and I want to thank my friends for coming, some guys from Palm Spring Harrow and... Uh, some guys I know from Pennsylvania that I went back there with. Uh, Bobby asked me to come back with him, and uh, all my friends at the table here. I got some acquaintances in the room, but for a guy that came in a party of one, I have some friends in the room. And if you're new here, there's a lot of difference between a friend and acquaintances. I didn't have any idea I was an alcoholic. I didn't know what an alcoholic was. I was raised in a, in a family that most people dreamed of. It was not a rich family, but there was four boys. My used to, my mother used to say. I got three boys and him, you know, and uh, they all excelled at life and went to school. My one brother owns his own company. The other brother uh, has more in his retirement fund from the company he works with than I've ever had. And my other brother put the international airports in uh, the U.S. federal government. My father invented the first machine to separate the leaf from stem and tobacco. My father was a brilliant man. At the age of 17, I'm standing in front of a judge getting six months to spend a sentence for three years, and that's going to be my life, and that's going to be theirs. But I didn't want to be this. My brothers were square, and I didn't want to be square. I'm a William Silkworth man. Now, most guys at the podium will tell you they talk about all the inferiority complexes we have and the less man's in it, and that's all true. I agree with all that. But there's something else wrong with me. Guys used to tell me, you need to read the first 164 pages, and uh, I did, and I just was not really catching on to anything. Some guy come to me and said, why don't you start reading a doctor's opinion? And I did. And what he says about people like me is this. He says that to talk about the mental, and he says that all of us have physical, like, feeling less than, not good enough, and all that. But these people who are not alcoholic that have those same feelings, 
he says, but there's something else. And he says, to talk about the mental without talking about the physical is incomplete. Now, what Dr. Silkwood was was not an alcoholic. So he doesn't know this mental twist we have anyway. But he does understand the physical allergy. And that's what I have, and I didn't know that. I don't say I was born an alcoholic, but I can tell you one thing. When I took a drink, there was one born. Because alcohol did something for me. You know, this loving family I told you about, I didn't never feel a part of that. I never felt a part of school. I never felt a part of nothing. You know, I didn't feel a part of anything. I was only comfortable if I was out in the woods with that old dog and a rifle or a fishing pole. And if you showed up, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to talk. I didn't know how to get along. I didn't know how to do anything. And alcohol did one thing for me. I heard of one guy from the podium, and, uh, you know, we all got our own stories. He says he took a drink. He could feel his fingernails grow. And he could feel the hair stand up on the back of his head. And all kinds of things happened. Well, I drank white whiskey in North Carolina. We didn't have no state stores. And white whiskey doesn't do that. But I'll tell you what it did for me. It let me go play. That's as simple as I can put it. I could dance. I could fight. I could just be a part of something. It just cured the thing that was inside of me that, let me, that had me all so locked up for all my life. And I could spend the next hour telling you about the disease of alcoholism, and I'm not going to do that this morning. That's not, uh, I never know what I'm going to say. I hope, uh, there's a friend that travels with me a lot, uh, Joe C., that always tells me that, uh, I always ask him, he says, uh, you're different, and that's all I want to be. I don't, I don't want to give the same pitch that I gave in uh, California last Sunday night. I don't want to do that, because if, it is, if I do, there's something wrong with it, you know, because if there's two messages here. There's a message from the head, and there's a message from the heart, and there might be one guy sitting out here in this audience that's just like me, and boy, it would be a shame if I gave him a head message and I went right over his head and I missed him. I do say things that other people have said. It's important because only the things that I identify with not something that I think sounds good, but if you say something, because that's what this is. If you're new here, this is a disease of identification. If you've got any other kind of disease, they can give you an X-ray, an MRI, or something. This is something that I have to listen to you and compare, not analyze or compare. Yes, I'm like that. And so I, if, you know, if you hear this weekend and you leave here with all these people that we have, and they do have some neat guys with neat messages, and you do nothing different in your life, or you think nothing different in your life, I feel like you've missed it. There be, should be something different in your life when you leave here, because this is Alcoholics Anonymous. This is what we do. It's one person sharing his experience, strength, and hope, hoping that you will latch on to maybe one little thing that we say or do and go do it. And that's what this thing is all about. I didn't have any idea I was an alcoholic. I joined the Navy to see the world and became a drunk. It's just that simple. I was arrested 11 times while I was in there. There's a lot of things you can do in the Navy, but you can't miss the boat. <laughs> the ship left uh, Minokuni, Japan, and I wasn't on it. And uh, I was supposed to be, but I went over to those houses, you know, where they got them girls and all that stuff that goes with it. See, I got to have that other stuff before I get the girls, because I got too much fear to go get the girl without the other stuff. I told Bob D. one time, I said, you know something, we were talking, I said, you know, fear controlled 90% of my whole life. And he looked at me and said, what control of the other 10%? I said, fear. <laughs> the fear of everything, the fear of success, fear of not success, fear of you like me, you don't like me. If you like me, then you're going to be wanting my time and all that. It's just, you know, I just, this thing just goes and goes and goes. And uh, the day I got out of the, um, 
Navy, I uh, went out to celebrate, got locked up at Long Beach Police, and they took me back, and uh, I'm 20, uh, 22 years old, and my blood pressure is so high that I've been on a three-day runner that they wouldn't, everybody got discharged but me. They couldn't get my blood pressure down. They wouldn't let me go until thing. And the uh, guy says, man, you, you know, you drank too much. I thought, I don't ever remember drinking too much. You know, I remember passing out, but I never don't ever remember drinking too much, you know. And uh, I left Long Beach, went to Illinois, lasted 42 days in Illinois. Went to Florida, lasted about five years there. Um, learned about the phenomenon of craving. Did I say it right, Bob? Learned about the phenomenon of craving there. Later on, when I was sober a lot of years, went to work for General Electric. I went to ask for a job, and they said, um, all we got is a janitor. I said, I'll take it. They said, well, it looks like you got a lot of skills here and stuff. I said, I'll take the janitor if that's all you got. Being an alcoholic, I went in and I just excelled, you know what I mean? Just took off. Wasn't long. I was in a lab doing this and got, you know, just got so many promotions. I got so many promotions, I had to quit the job, you know what I mean? I just, <laughs> nine to five, is this all there is? Don't, 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 don't. Went to work on a fishing boat. Um, thought I'd found heaven. It was a whole bunch of drunks. They wanted to go fishing. They wanted to just fish and get drunk. I wanted to fish and get drunk and tell them how to run the fish company. They didn't appreciate it at all. They fired me, and it was all drunks. I couldn't figure that one out. Came back home. I went to work for a roofing company. I lasted a half a day, so I figured Florida's not a very good place. You know, they don't like me down here. This little mother that I had told me that uh, we don't know what to do for you. I said, well, I'm going to Las Vegas. The guy told me to go to Las Vegas. They got... 24-hour bars and a lot of showgirls, and boy, I said, that's a place for me, you know, and I got like $200 or something like that in an old beat-up car, and uh, I told my mother I was going to Las Vegas, and this moment, they loved me more than anything in the world, I said, I'll help you pack, I'll help you pack, we don't know what to do for you, and I didn't know what to do for me, you know, once I take a drink, this is what happens, I heard a guy from the podium say that once he took a drink, he didn't know what was going to happen. If you have the same disease that I can do, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. I don't know what my actions are going to be. I don't know that. But I know what's going to happen. I'm going to have another drink. That's all. I didn't know that. I didn't know that once I took a drink and I had five drinks, I needed the next drink more than I had the last one. I've had them lined up in front of me and I had a bartender come up and says, Billy, this guy's buying. Do you want another? And I've never said, no. I got them lined up. Put it there because I will get to it. I will get to it. If you got a six-pack, please don't call me. I am not your man. You're just going to light my fire. If you got six cases, I'll give you my number. Because I know once I take a drink, I'm going to have to have a drink. I know I'm going to have to have another. If you got two beers, I don't want one. Because i got to go. I got to get out of here and go get it. And when I was in Florida, I didn't realize it until after I was sober for a long time. I worked at General Electric. The plant was about 10, 11 miles from my plant, from my house. I go home and take a shower, and every now and then they had a little place there. We'd go down and start drinking pitchers of beer and get a sandwich or something like that. Most time I didn't get the sandwich; I just drank the beer, and I drink four or five pitchers of that stuff. I go home and take a shower, put my work clothes on. I drive ten, eleven miles to the plant. When I get to the plant, I look at the plant as I drove by, and I tell myself, "That's where you work," you know. And uh, for some reason, the car wouldn't turn in. It would just keep going, and uh, I would go down to one of those taverns and, and, and finish out what I started. And I was telling myself, you know, you're 24 or 5 years old, whatever it was, uh, you don't really need the job anyway, don't make no difference. They don't seem to want to fire you anyway, you know, and I'd just go back. The days that I didn't do that, I could go down there and that car would turn right in if I hadn't been drinking. It was amazing. I could go in and work and then uh, 
I excelled when I was there. I just wasn't there a lot. You know, uh, they said if you miss five days, they fire you. I missed 28, and I just quit. You know, and so came across this mountain up here, and I uh, thought I'd found heaven when I seen these lights. And I had a little money in my pocket, not much. I went to Fremont and was going to get a couple of drinks just to chill out and see what was going on. And you know what happened, right? I woke up and I ain't got nothing, right? And uh, had one phone number, and I called him. The guy let me uh, sleep on his couch. Now, I just left a home that had a living room upstairs and a living room downstairs and a lot of bathrooms. He let me sleep on his couch, and I stayed there for a couple of months. That's about all he could stand me. He asked me to leave. I went down on Fremont Street. I got a job. Now, they're my brothers. I told you what they did. I got a job at the Las Vegas Club as a shield, a dollar an hour, and I thought I made a score. The alcoholic mind is probably the most cruelest thing in the world. What it does is it never gives me the picture. I could never, ever see what's going on in my life. You can see what's going on in my life, and I can see what's going on in your life, but I can't see what's going on in my life. I have a daughter that had this disease for 18 years. She's almost 32 years old. She thinks she's fine. She can see what's going on. She can see that her life's good. I can see what's going on, and I can see her slowly slide down just like I did. We slide down so gentle and so we just adjust as we go down that we don't see it coming up. We can't see the bottom coming up because we just adjust and adjust. And it's, it's amazing how the alcoholic can just adjust every time he slides down a little bit and uh, wind up living on... Uh, on the other side, years ago, they had the flop houses on that side of Fremont Street. And on this side of the street, they had the Six and Carson Hotel. I wound up in there, uh, $25 a week. Uh, it was a, the room's a little bit bigger than this podium. and uh, But I had a place to stay. In two years, I didn't even have an address where my mother and uh, father could send me a Christmas card. If you had me ask me how I was doing, I was telling you I was doing okay. One time I came in and they had the boards uh, nailed up on the room. I couldn't get in my room because I hadn't paid the rent and uh, they weren't very uh, nice. And uh, I had three or four dollars left in my pocket and I went back downtown and uh, I won a lot of money. Took that three or four dollars, started shooting craps and won a ton of money. About 60 or 70 dollars. <laughs> what are you laughing at? If you're on the street and you ain't got no money, 60 or 70 dollars is a bankroll. Believe me when I tell you, if you're absolutely living on the street, that's a bankroll. I went back and flashed my big bankroll at those people and paid for my room, and I went to give him $25 for the next week, and he wouldn't take it. He said, we don't want you living here no longer. And I, I go by there every now and then. It's right down here on downtown, and check it out. It's still there, the Six and Carson Hotel. And I said, you know, you take a drink, you'd be lucky. You'd be lucky if you made it back to Six and Carson Hotel. You'd probably make it to Palm Mortuary, but you probably wouldn't make it back there. I wound up living on the street, and I wound up living with everything I owned in my carnation box. And if you'd ask me how I'm doing, if I had 40 or $50 in my pocket, I would tell you, not that bad. It's just not that bad. If I'm broke, then it's bad. And I never knew how bad that sounded, just not that bad, until about two years ago. My daughter come home, and my daughter had been living in the street, and uh, she come home. She weighed about 80, 85 pounds or something like that, and I never seen nothing look that bad in my whole life. I have one child. She's been evicted of this disease since she was about 12. I hear all these people from the podium, their daughters and sons are sober 15 years and doing all this and everything, and I used to hear John A. and all those guys, and I used to think, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe my message is not that good, and Bob D. always told me, he said, she's always got an example, and I'm thinking, well, one more kind of example it is, because she don't seem to get here, you know. And uh, She come in, she said, could I take a shower? And I said, she said, I haven't had a shower in six or seven days, uh, could I come in and take a shower? And I said, sure. 
But I said, you know, you can't stay here. And she says, I know that, Dad. I said, but come on in. And she came in, and I watched her, and she says, it's okay if I go to the refrigerator and eat. And I said, sure, Dad, go ahead. And I watched this kid eat four times in about five hours. I told her, I said, honey, I've never seen you look this bad. She said, Dad, listen, I'm living in the back of a pickup, and we got a mattress in there now, and it's not that bad. I thought, wow, right, the mattress makes the difference. Oh, she said, yeah, you don't understand this. <laughs> Sleeping on that hard bed. She said, but now we have a mattress. I said, Deb, Deb, you're living in the back of a pickup. She says, yeah, Deb, but we got a mattress. Wow, the mind just can't see it. Well, we got a mattress. I thought, wow. And here's a nice, beautiful home she could be living in. But there's a couple rules. You can't drink and you can't drug. So I watched her leave, and so uh, then uh, I just, living on Fremont Street, I got real lucky I met a lady. She drank like I did, I thought, so I married her. She had two things I didn't. She had an apartment and a car, and that was a, you want what we got, that's part of it. Yep, I'll take that. That's a step up. And uh, I didn't know that later on that this was going to be one of the God things. This was going to be one of the great God things in my life, this lady that come in my life. And uh, she was the one that brought me to this room. And so uh, we tried to make it, and I told her, you know, that I, I said, listen, uh, you know, and I wound up in the hospital after we were married real shortly, and they told me I wasn't going to live any longer. And I was laying down there, and I was 29 years old, and they told me I wasn't going to live any longer. 29 seemed a little short, maybe 35 or 38. And I, goes, I know guys like me don't draw Social Security, which I just did. But 29 seemed a little bit short. And so I made up my mind. If you're new here and you're sitting in this room and you got some time and you got this big hole in your gut still, listen to me. I made up my mind I was not going to drink anymore. I spent the next 11 years quitting drinking. And I meant it every time I've seen it. I did put one real long stretch in. I put like six or seven years in. I did do other stuff. I started doing uh, Life with Chemicals. Life's Better Through Chemicals. I started doing a thing called Sponsuri. I looked it up later on. It's to stop extreme alcoholics from shaking. I didn't know that I had a fatal disease. I thought if I quit drinking, I would be all right. During that seven years that I quit drinking, not only did I lose all my friends, I lost all my acquaintances. Nobody wanted to be around me. I became the self-righteous, nastiest human being that I've ever met in my whole life. And I came in here with that attitude. And I kept that attitude in Alcoholics Anonymous, as you hear, for a long time. I had a guy call me up and then he says, I'm, I got a brother just like you mean. I thought, am I still mean? God, I know I used to be, but I don't think I still am. So anyway, I uh, went out to play golf one morning. I'm playing in a tournament, and a guy offered me a drink, and I just took it. My mind didn't say, listen, idiot. You was laying in the hospital when you were 29. They said, if you drink anymore, uh, you're going to die. It's amazing. The alcoholic mind can't even remember the book says even a week ago or two weeks ago, much less then. And I said, yeah, I haven't had it for a long time. Why don't I take it? I had two drinks that day. I had uh, four drinks about two days later, and within two weeks I was a falling down drunk. I heard a guy say from the podium, and that's his story, and this is mine. He said that once he he'd stayed sober for a long time, he picked up a drink. He picked up just where he left off. That's not my story. It was like I drank those seven years. It was the most horrible thing I ever seen. They had removed something from the bottle. There was absolutely nothing in that thing for me anymore. And this is the sad part. The sad part is the more I drank, most of the time, the sober I'd get. I'd sit there and drink as hard as I could, and this thing up here was just going. I was just as sober as I could be. 
I had one guy left that would drink with me, and I wished he would just, like, leave. I never met nothing, and uh, it's a loneliness that few will know. And I'll tell you something, I just couldn't do it no more. I don't know how long I drank that second time. I drank quite a while, maybe a year or two, and I just couldn't go it no more. I stand, and then a, a thing came into my mind, it was suicide. I'm just tired. I was no longer mad or angry. I was just flat tired. I was tired of everything. Tired of the wife, tired of the job, tired of the kid, tired of the neighbors. I'm just tired. And I said, well, you know, I'm just not going. What if I said to myself one morning, what if I live to be 70 and I have to feel like this every day? In chapter 11, it says something. There'll come a time when you can't live with it and you can't live without it, which means you can't live with it. It's not doing for me back what it did when I was 16 years old. And now I can't quit doing something that I know is killing me. And now I'm trying to quit drinking. I'm making four days, nine days, and now I'm trying to commit suicide sober. I hadn't had a drink that morning. I'm thinking about suicide. I don't know how you do, do not drinking, but that's how I do it, you know. And it says in, in, in chapter 11 that we will wish for the end. To me, that's suicide. So, of course, says people like me will make the extreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. So if you've got this fatal disease, that's what is going on. I don't think everybody in the room is alcoholic. I think you have a right to be here if you want to be here. But I don't think everybody has the same disease as I do. I have a physical allergy to alcohol, and no matter how hard I try, I'll always pick up. book says I will have no mental defense against the first drink. So this little lady I was married to, I'm sitting in the front yard. A week later, they had a roundup, and she took me, and I came here, and I'm going to spend the next 30 minutes telling you about Alcoholics Anonymous. I used to have thought I did it bad and did it slow and did everything else. I don't think that's true no more. I think we all have our own stories, and that's the reason I'm here to tell you mine, because there might be one of you out there just like me. I showed up in this room, and I raised my hand, and I said, My name is Bill. I dared you to come over me and tell me that i got to say I'm an alcoholic. You know, you better put your fist up, because I, I swing first and talk to you later. You know, it's just my nature. I don't, I'm not bad. I am absolutely scared of you. I'm so afraid that you hurt me, I come after you. I'm just afraid. I fear that I did hundred forms of it. Most of it's you. You know, I'm just scared of you. I'm scared of people. I do good things good. I love that dog. You know, I get along good with that dog. But that dog knows when I tell him to sit, he better sit. <laughs> but people, you know. So I came in and I started. I went all weekend. I don't remember all I heard. I was already had some really good pictures here. But I must have heard or felt something. Because on Monday I didn't go to a meeting. And Tuesday I went to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm like, uh, and that's the reason I love Bob D. He was in and out of these for a long time. So my thing is I have to live an untreated alcoholism in Alcoholics Anonymous. Some people go back out and get relief and come back. I didn't do that. I stayed in here. I started going to meetings. I went to two and three a day, and I'd raise my hand and say, my name is Bill. And they'd all stare, because now I'm going to a lot of meetings, and then I know what they're waiting. The day he's going to say it. You know what you can do? You can take this. Anyway, I wouldn't say it. And um, right before my 30 days is up, I, said my, I raised my hand, and I said, my name is Bill, and I'm an alcoholic. And I could have said, my name is Bill, and I'm a brain surgeon. My name is Bill, and I'm an architect meant the same. I just didn't want the, the president to come over and tell me that I can't stay here no longer because I didn't say I was an alcoholic. And I did what I always do on the streets and everything. I just say what you want to hear. doesn't mean nothing to me. This is what I always do. I'm a bullshitter. So once again, I'm just raising that. And it's probably the first time in my life I've ever been honest because I didn't know what I was. I didn't have any idea that I had a fatal disease called alcoholism. And it's probably the first time in my life I've ever been honest. My name is Bill. Are you all messed up, Betty? Oh, yeah. Do you have a miserable life, Billy? Oh, yeah. Does everybody hate you? Oh, yeah. You know. I went to a reunion. I'm 20 years sober of the 
Sahara Hotel, the people who worked in, and some guys hadn't seen me in 20 years. Now, I'm sober 20 years, and this is what the people that work with me remember about me. I walked into the door, and I heard this guy say, God, there's Billy Smith. He don't like nobody. I thought, that's not true. I just don't like you. <laughs> but that's the reputation I had. You see, I can't let you get close to me. And some of you guys will understand what I'm talking about. I have to keep you pushed away. Because once you know what... See, when you first meet me, you like me. After a week, you're not sure. Then after two weeks, you can't stand me. Get out of here. Because I'm a leech. And so I just do something to push you away from me before you reject me. I can't let you get close to me. I can't let you understand who and what I am. Because I know once you connect to me, you're not going to like me anyway. And I'm tired of all that rejection. So I just started going to meetings. I went to a lot of meetings. I didn't do no steps. I didn't get no sponsor. I didn't do anything. I'm waiting for you guys to fix me. I, you know, I'm the kind of guy that always does the least I can to get the most. You know, I don't do no work, but I like to get $20 an hour. You know, well, I might do a little something, but I ain't going to do a lot. You know, and I'm doing the same thing in Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't take a first-year cake. I had about all this fun I could take. Then I'm mad because nobody comes up and congratulates me. You know. You've seen me going to all these meetings. You must know I've been here 10 years at least. And I'm, once again, I'm just one of the people sitting in a room, dying in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's all I'm doing. Bob says something that's really neat, though. I like what Bob says. I just read it again. He said it drills down to love and service. The first, I was, first year I was here, I got a job. I started making pretty good money. So I would take guys who were less than me, and I'd buy them cigarettes. And I would take them out and feed them. And I would pick them up and give them rides because they didn't have cars. I started helping you, but I am not always that kind of person. I will always help you. I just won't let you help me. Some people invited me over to good friends of mine. Invited me over to Thanksgiving dinner yesterday, and I said yes. He doesn't understand. I love him more than anything in the world, but it's hard for me to say yes. I will let you do something for me, but I won't let you do nothing for me. Guy told me when I first come in, I, he'd come over to my house, he helped me and all that kind of catfish, John, and I just love him. What a, what a guy this was. And we was over at his house, we fixed his boat and fixed his fence and fixed this and fixed this, and he was a painter by trade. And he said to me, I said, well, I got to do something. He said, you going to come over tomorrow? I said, no, I got to do some painting. He said, well, that's what I'll do. I'll come over and help you paint. I said, that's okay, John, I'll do it myself. And he screamed at me, who needs a friend like you? I said, John, Jesus. He said, listen, don't you feel good when you help me? Don't you feel good when you're over here helping me? I said, yes. He said, then why don't you give me a chance to feel good? I said, okay, come on, paint the whole house. So, uh, so that's what we did. And he just, well, you know, and, you know, when you get a painter that's in AA, you get a 24-hour AA meeting. All they talk about is AA. Don't talk about nothing else. So, and that's what he did. You people started doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. So that's the reason I thought the people, and I'll call it synonymous, kept me here till I could hook up with a loving God. Thank God for the people in AA. They can see right through that bullshit of mine and this fear. I remember at the Alana Club one day, you know, I always, you know, and I'm not tough. I just got this big mouth, you know. This is all plastic to prove I'm not tough, you know. And uh, I remember they had a guy there called Big Jim, you know, and I said something to him. He said something back, and I told him, come on outside. And they called him Big Jim for a reason, because when he started getting up, he gets up for a long time, you know. And I thought, whoa, sure made a mistake this time, sure did, you know. And he got up and he screamed at them guys. He said, get this idiot a cup of coffee. I'm not going to be the guy that runs him out of here. You're looking for somebody to run you out of here, Billy. It ain't going to be me. And turn around and left. And I thought, wow. He said, get him a cup of coffee. I'm not running you out of here. He said, you need to be here. 
you know. I had that personality that Bob was talking about. And so come out of Triangle Club one day, and I knew I'm history. I knew I'm not going to get home. And behind me was my guy that was going to be my sponsor. I asked him to be my sponsor, and before he could say anything, I said, I'll do anything you tell me. Wrong thing to tell Ted Davis. What he did was he got me involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. He, he claims that they babysitted me for five years. I don't know if that's true or not, but if he says it's true, then I'm going to buy it. But i tell you one thing. I stayed locked in a pissed-off position for a long time. I would do everything but the steps. I just came from the doctor. I, three months ago, I, had a, I started feeling bad. I, I, I um, retired in April of this year. I started doing things I'm not supposed to do. My whole family's diabetic. I started eating barricades. I started just doing all kinds of things I wasn't supposed to do. And I'm a runner. I ran two marathons after I got sober, and I always work out, and I had no energy. I couldn't run from here to the end of the room, and I knew there was something wrong. And I went to the doctor, and I told him. I said, wrong. All my friends was coming down with cancer, and I thought, I, you know, right away, my alcoholic mind, I got terminal cancer. I know who's going to come to the funeral. I know who I'm going to tell leave. I'm going to get up out of the casket. You're not supposed to be here. You don't think like that, huh? Just me? Oh, God. But anyway, I go to the doctor and I tell him what happened was um, all my sugar levels were way out of whack and uh, my cholesterol had shot up. And he says all of it is shot up because of the diet I'd done and I just started doing things. And he gave me a thing to do. He says, I'm not going to put you on insulin or blood pressure medicine or nothing yet. I'm going to give you 90 days. He said, I'll see you, which was Tuesday. I'll see you 90 days from now. And he says, I don't want you cheating. I want you to do this letter by letter. I said, okay. It petrified me. I was absolutely floored that I would let myself do that, knowing what I'm going to do. So I called my brother who's diabetic, and my brother says the most stupidest thing I've ever heard. He said, this could be a good thing for you. I said, Bobby, wait a minute. Did you hear what I just said? He said, yes. He said, Billy, look what alcoholism did for you. Look at you. You're a great guy. All because of a thing called Alcoholics Anonymous. Look what alcoholics have done for you. Look how you turned out. You were the nastiest person we'd ever met in our life. And look at you because I, he said, this will drive you. He said, you will do what that doctor tell you. This will probably make you live longer. I went back Tuesday, and this is what the doctor said. I said, well, I want to tell you how far. He said, Billy, you don't have to say nothing to me. I said, what do you mean, Ken? He says, I know that you did everything I told you because all your numbers are perfect. Isn't that amazing? I just did exactly what he told me. Isn't it amazing? We walk into the rooms. We walk into the rooms and when you say you're alcoholic and I said, I want you to do the steps. I want you to get a sponsor. Well, I'll get the steps, but I ain't going to do a sponsor. Isn't it amazing? We, put, we tell you, give you a set of instructions that will save your life and give you a life you never dreamed of. And you say, I'll do this, but I'm not going to do that. Well, I ain't going to pay her back. She don't deserve it anyway. You know, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to get up. No, I just did everything it said and it come out. Took me a long time in Alcoholics Anonymous to understand if I do everything he asked me to do, I can have a life that I ne never dreamed of in my whole life. So I went and got a sponsor. I wasn't going to do no fourth step. I uh, showed him I'd do that. I couldn't do the God thing. I was raised in the South with the God, you know what I'm talking about. When you get up in the morning, you're wrong, you know. It's tough to go that guy because he's got a list of, of things I did like this, bad, and a little list up here when I hit that little old lady that time, good. I know this is going, you go down there, everybody else goes up there, I know where I'm going. There's going to be a hell of a fire the day I die, and I know I'm in it, you know, so they don't need me to get to this God thing. But the ABCs used to keep driving me nuts. And so finally, um, uh, he told me to go to retreat, and I did. 
was a Catholic priest, turned my life around. I was raised in the South. We didn't like blacks. We didn't like Catholics. They drank and smoked. We didn't like, I don't, wasn't no hatred thing. We just didn't like them. You know, you don't bother me and I won't bother you, you know. And so I went to this thing and he turned my whole life around. Went back and did a fourth step and I did a fifth step. Book in the big book of alcoholics and says, if you don't do that, you'll probably drink. In the fifth step, it says, if you don't do it, you're likely to drink. And if you don't do a complete fifth step, that you will have a life that's not what it's talking about on page 83 and 84. Halfway through my fourth step, I told my sponsor, after about two hours or two or three hours of this stuff, I said, I don't believe I'm telling you all this stuff. He said, don't you understand why? And I said, no. He said, that's because you trust me. And I looked at him. I said, that's right, I do. And to this day, I still trust him. I did a fifth step, and I thought, man, this was great. I said, man, I'm glad this is over. He said, don't get too high on your hog because you're about to take the biggest step of your life. And I said, gee, I thought we just did that. He says, no, and if you read the 12 or 12, it's only one paragraph in the big book, and the 12 or 12, it says, we now separate the men from the boys. And he says, if you can put these things in your life, it says something very spiritual about that. Back to the second step, it says something in there, and, and after a long time in the program, um, I uh, would ever somebody ever now and then somebody would do something. I said, "No wonder he did that. He's black. Oh, no wonder he did that. He's this." And I kept telling myself, "You can't think like that. You can't keep thinking like that. That's wrong. You can't go to down to Westcare where there are all kinds of people and say, call me and I'll help you if you feel like that.'" So I got on my knees and I started. In step two, it says something that's really really neat. It says that we must get rid of all prejudices, all of them. We must get rid of these things. If we're going to have to just let this God shine through us. Maybe it says something that's really neat. He says that this, these steps open up the channel so we can find the God within. And that's what the steps do. And it says that, you know, we must get rid of And it even used, this is in 1940 that he wrote this book. It says against color, race, and creed, and all religions. I said at a meeting one day, it was the neatest thing in the world. On one side of me said a Muslim. I was sitting in the middle. I'm a Christian religion. And on this side of me was a Jewish guy. Not only that, but we're different religions, but we love each other. We really care about each other. Only in placing the Alcoholics Anonymous could that happen. So I kept asking this God to please relieve me of these prejudices. And I go to this detox one day and I tell them guys, if you'll call me before you get out of here, it's a skid row detox, you'll have a better chance of making it. I don't have any idea what time it is. Well, I still got time. And so this guy called me, and he says, uh, you told me to call before I get out, so I'm calling. And uh, he's here today, so I don't want to embarrass him. And uh, he says, uh, I said, okay. I said, what's your name? He said, Jerome Jackson. Jerome Jackson. I said, okay, what do you look like? He says, I'm black. I said, hell, I can tell that. I said, what the heck you got on or something? He says, well, I'll be out front, and I'll pick you up. And I said, okay. And I went down, and I picked him up, and he got in my truck, and uh I said, where are you from? He said, the hood in Chicago. I said, wow. I said, well, when's the last time you listened to country music? He says, I never have. I said, well, today's your first day. I said, what kind of music do you like? He says, I, I like rap. I said, okay, if I ever get in your car and you change the station, from rap to country, I'm going to hit you as hard as I can. He said, this is who and what I am, and this is who and what you are. You be who you are, and I'll be who I am. And maybe because we got this big hole and empty our gut, men, you can hook up. I said, what do you do for a living? He says, I've never had a job. I said, whoa, wait a minute. How old are you? He says, 44. 
I said, you've never had a W-2? He said, no, it never worked. Streets, drugs, girls. I said, oh, shoot. I said, all right, we'll go day labor. He said, man, I don't even have. I said, whoa, nothing's negotiable. <laughs> this is not negotiable. This is the things you do. Make a long story short, he went to day labor, went to the hospital and started cleaning pans and sheets and stuff. And just got promoted a couple months ago and sober quite a while now. He's a much tougher sponsor than I am. Still rides a bus because he's got some garbage we've got to clean up in the past. And not only that, we've de developed a great friendship. My daughter always laughs when he calls because he calls me old dude. And he speaks that slang out of the hood. Instead of saying good goodbye, he goes, look out. <laughs> One day he said to me, and he says, okay, look out. I said, whoa, wait a minute, hold it. What the heck is this? Look out. He said, you know, man, look out for yourself. Look out for God, kids. I said, that's cool. Look out. <laughs> Only in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'll tell you some God stories. This third step, I had a hard time with this. Wade Bergen was alive then. Some of you guys remember him. He's a precious to me. He kept telling me, you got to need to get your knees dirty. I said, not me, buddy. You know, not me. One day, my uh, daughter was on drugs. My wife was being operated on, uh, and I lost my job. I went in some bedroom and I shut the uh, door. I didn't want the dog to see me on my knees. He might go tell somebody. And I did the greatest prayer I've ever done in my life. And I, and I do a lot more now, but I did the greatest prayer I ever did in my life. And this is all what it was. If you're new, it's just this simple. If there's anything out there anywhere, I need some help. That's all. I got up and I went to the hospital, and the doctor said she's going to be okay. And I went and had an old detox center where Leo and all them guys worked in down in the starting point. And I spent all day at that detox center, helping them drunks, watching them puke and holding them up. And when I left that night, I come home and I slowed my eyes and I went sound to sleep. And before I closed my eyes, I just said, thank you. Whoever you are, I appreciate it. And it's saying the 12 by 12 in step three, it says this, that we get, all we have to do is just open the door. If you're new here, just open the door. But you need some God things in your life. You need to know that God's working in your life. And I have to look back and see the thing. I walked into a bar nine months sober to get a pack of cigarettes and order a drink. Right there on, right there on the strip. In the old beer bar, Sahara beer bar. It's the only guy, the only bartender in town who knew I was sober. All he said to me was, Billy, I thought you was off this stuff. And I said, God, I'm on the way to an AA meeting. You know, I just need a pack of cigarettes. You know. And I went in and the guy said, I told the guy, I'm out of that fragile. He said, yes, you are. You have an alcoholic mind. He had never walked in there and ordered a drink first. It ordered cigarettes first. It might have ordered cigarettes, but it always ordered a drink first. You need to stay real close here. You need to do more than the rest of them. And I still feel that way. I don't ever feel like I'm a speaker. I always feel like I'm coming from behind. I used to think that was a bad thing. I don't think that no more. I think that's what pushes me, keeps me doing more. My sponsor says, never get up here and never feel like you're on a pedestal. When people start telling you how good you are, he says, you know, you go down to detox, down there where they're at. He says, all right, if you put other people on a pedestal, but don't you ever climb up there and sit. And I have my heroes and alcoholics and all this. A few years ago, a friend of mine who's here today, and, I, you know, I just love him more than anything in the world. He's been had a lot of health problems. He's a heart specialist. And he was living in Texas, and he called me and told me he was going to come back to Vegas. And uh, he's the only doctor I know that don't have no money. <laughs> he keeps getting married a lot. Thank God he's finally found the right one. I'm glad she's here. I'm glad. I hope she puts handcuffs on him and never lets him move, you know. 
But he called me up and told me he come. He said he had to get an apartment, and this is a God thing. This is step three. And so I said, listen, why don't you come and live with me? Because he said, i got to go get an apartment and all that. And he says, you need a place just until the kids get out of school. And I said, why don't you come and live with me? And so you don't feel like you're mooching. You can just pay, just pay a little minimum fee, whatever you want, 300 a month. You want to stay here and you have RF&B, room, food, and beverage. He said, that's great. So he moved into my house, and uh, he's there one day, and my daughter come in. She was living in the street, and she come in, and she started coughing. And Chuck listened to her, and he says, uh, boy, that's a bad cough. And she says, yeah, I smoke a lot and everything. And he says, that has nothing to do with cigarettes. That has to do with something else. And I said, she has no insurance and nothing. She's living in the street. But I said, uh, he said, that's out of my field. But he says, I know somebody that will. So I said, she's got no insurance or anything. So he said, let me call him. So he called these two guys and he told them. They sent them over. And she come home the first day. She had like $300 worth of uh, antibiotics. Uh, I finally got a bill from them for $60. Uh, they couldn't find out what was wrong with her. They kept running tests on her and they couldn't find out. And finally they took some saliva off her tongue and they run some tests. She had an infection in the bottom of her lungs. If they hadn't have found it, she could have died. You see, I was just trying to help my friend out. It's never amazed every time I've tried to help you that I'm always the one that's been the beneficiary. Isn't it amazing? Every time I've sucked my hand out to help one of these drunks, something really nice has happened to me. I just love them God stories, you know, and, uh, and uh, I, I'm glad Chuck's here today. He's very special in my life. In 8 and 9, uh, we was talking uh, the other day about most people go out and in. In 8 and 9, it says this. It says, when we go back to do my family, after I told them I was sober, they could have cared less. My brother said, we're glad you're not drinking, but don't come around here. Now, when you get sober, maybe if you're 20, 23, or 24, it's a different ball game. When you get sober like me with 40 and 25 years of, I says I'm like a tornado going through these people's lives, right? A tornado. And it says in the big book that a lot of people, that they're very skeptical. Well, my brothers were really skeptical. I went down to show them I was sober a year. They didn't act like I wanted. I told them, you know, you know how these planes work. Get me out of here. I'm supposed to stay down there seven days with my family. I stayed three. Now they're going, what we do wrong now? Right? Because I'm still locked in the pistol opposition and an absolutely a-hole. Right? The book says that even though they have character defects, that I must be kind, loving, patient, and tolerant with my family, my ex-wife, and all that. And so every time my sponsor says, you know, I want you to get half your vacation to your mother, I want you to start sending her $100 bills. I said, because he says, you owe her a lot, right? I said, yeah. I said, well, she'll just send them back. He said, don't make no difference. You send them. I can tell you I sent a bunch of them. She never sent the first one back. She kept them all. And I sent some more people, and I still ain't had nobody send nothing back. I had to do it again about two years ago. A guy come up. I owed money. The guy I slept on that couch. I never paid that guy. I didn't realize I owed him anything, but I never paid rent, and I used his food. And since it's been 30 years, I owed him 200 uh, 200 for the food, I figured, and 200 for the rent, and $1,600 interest because it was that many years ago. So I sent him a check for 2000 He said, you sent too much, and he didn't send none back. <laughs> but with these brothers of mine, when I'd go down there, I'd call them. And they said, well, we're glad you're doing good and everything, and they would just hang up. And uh, I went down one time, and one of them talked to me a little bit, and I went down, and over a period of years, I just kept showing up at my mom's house and kept trying to help her until I love her. I didn't get even with my father. My father died when I, right after I got sober. Went down one time and I called my brothers and he said, Hey, I hear you're doing good. Mom says you're really just, 
He said, why don't we have dinner? And I said, that'd be a great idea. When I was 10 years sober, my brother grabbed me aside and said, Billy, we just want to tell you how proud we are of you. I said, it took you 10 years <laughs> to tell me that. They said, Billy, you were bad. We always thought you would drink because that's what you do. And I said, that's right. When I was 18 years sober, they come out to my house out here where it's all sitting around in my table, and they all started laughing. They started talking about all the episodes that I did. And they had them two wives there, and I asked them wives. I said, now, you know that these guys are just bold. This, none of this is true. They said, no, we know, honey. You're our man. But the curtain was down. It was even. They could come out and talk about anything they want to, and it was okay. So if you're new here and the family don't run right back, what you have to do is just keep walking this thing. And I'll tell you something, it's been a tough trial sometime. This thing with my daughter, I'm going to tell you one other thing, and I'll shut this thing down. This is another God thing. I have a very loving God in my life. I just went hunting. We was up uh, for the animal activists. Uh, we just came back. I was up nine days beating that truck up and down the thing, and I uh, came back, and uh, we drove uh, like nine hours hard, and I pulled in front of my buddy's driveway. Now, I heard a guy say from the podium that his God doesn't do parking places. I read in the third step this morning, God is either everything or he's nothing. Maybe he doesn't, but if I get one, I thank him just the same. Anything good happens in my life, I just thank him. Maybe he doesn't have anything to do with it, but I'll give him credit anyway. And if he gives me something that's, that's, that's going to be some pain in my life, then he gives me a chance to grow and be something that I'm not. And I pulled in front of my buddy's house, and my buddy just happened to be a mechanic. He'd get out, and he says, uh, Billy, look, your transmission's going. You know, it's a long, lonely drive if you've ever been up and down Nevada. It could have stopped anywhere, but it didn't. It went right in front of his house, and then there it happened. And I, I don't know if he had anything to do with it or not, but I just thanked him anyway. In November and October, I don't take any kind of commitments. Deer season opens on the 1st, and I'm gone. If it runs, I shoot at it. And if it swims, I try to catch it. And that's what I do. A couple years ago in October, uh, they called me up and said, you got a sponsorship workshop October the 1st. I said, oh, wait a minute. You guys got the wrong guy. I don't make commitments in October. They said, well, we'll get somebody else. I said, no, no. If I made a commitment, then I'm going to keep it because that's what I do. That's what I was taught. And so I went and did that commitment, and uh, Valerie was here today, and she said, uh, don't forget Tomorrow's Dick Tucson's 35th birthday. They want you there. Do, 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 do. I said, whoa, God, I'm going hunting. I said, okay, I'll go Monday. I don't know what this God has planned for me. So I showed up for Dick Tucson's birthday, and it was great because he helped me a lot when I came in. And while I was there, one of these idiots that I sponsor come up and says, I need to spend some time with you. And I said, I'm going hunting. He says the magic word to me. I'm thinking about suicide. I said, whoa. I'm a guy you want to talk to, so I'll see you in the morning. But come over early. We'll spend a little time, and then I'll get out of here. I got my truck packed. I'm going hunting. So he comes over. God says, I got to keep you here. I got something going on. You don't know yet, but I'll show you in a minute. He gets over. He was a lot sicker than I thought, so I had to spend a lot of time with him. And I was scared to turn him loose because he really was suicidal, and thank God he didn't do it. So I went to bed early, and I said, okay, I'll get up, and I'll get up in the morning, and I'm out of here. I'm gone, going hunting. Ten o'clock at night, my phone rang, and it's this daughter of mine. She said, Dad, I'm in bad shape. I said, yeah, I know that. She said, no, you don't understand. The whole side of my face is caved in. I said, did you get beat up? And she says, no, I just got drunk and hit the curb a lot. 
I said, you know, honey, I can help you get a car and a permit, but I can't help you with this. You'll get your help the same place I got mine from, a total stranger. I'd give anything if I could help you, but I just can't do it. I'll always be your father, and I'll do more damage than good. And it pisses me off that I can't help you. But I remember Alfie years ago saying that God gives little horses little crosses, and he gives big horses big crosses, and the ones with the big crosses are the blessed ones. And I thought, man, I'd like to give this cross up and get a low one. I'm tired of this thing, you know. But that's just my deal, you know. And I know you've got yours. I don't know what yours is. We all have one, you know. And uh, I said, but I know some people that can. So I called these guys I sponsor who has wives who's in the program a long time. And I said, i got a 12-step call for you. And they said, it's Debbie called. I said, that's right. So they went and picked her up, and I took her down to NDO, California. And she went to the ABC Club, and she stayed sober about uh, three or four months. They threw her out because she was drinking while she was in the club. She said it seemed like a good idea at the time, and I understand that. And I didn't tell her she was a bad kid or nothing. But see, and I finally went hunting on uh, Saturday, went back to work on Sunday. So I got one day in. I went down and chased a couple of little birds, and then I guess I was so uptight I couldn't even hit them. You know, so it seems like if I just put one foot in front of the other and do what this God asked me to do, that everything works out good. I like to tell the new people that because of steps, the 12 steps I put in my life, I would never, ever leave my home without my prayers. I do a lot of meditation and a lot of reading. I'm at the detox center every Friday. I'll be there this afternoon. I go there. I'm going to try to get back as quick as I can because I want to hear my good friend Wayne talk. But I have a commitment there at uh, 1245, and I will be there. I go to the jails. I go to the prison, do big book studies. I pick these guys up, and the first thing I say to them, I don't start preaching the book. First thing I say to them when I pick them up is the same thing they said to my daughter. Do you smoke? Most of them say, yeah. Do you have any cigarettes? I hadn't had one say yes yet. I don't buy a Marlboro or nothing. I go down and give them a couple packs of cigarettes, and then I say something else. Are you hungry? They said, yes. I said, come on. I don't take them to a fancy restaurant. We go to Burger King or something, and I feed them. And I, I just believe in that. And then I said, you know, here's my number. If you ever want help, call me. But, you know, my sponsor said, if you just take care of God's kids... He will always take care of you. Twenty-five years ago, I'd have never dreamed when I walked into this room that twenty-five years later, I would be the kickoff speaker for the night for the Las Vegas Roundup. Boy, I'm telling you something. I got cold chills sitting up here knowing that what you people have done for me and my family, that my mother died looking at me, telling me I'm really proud of you. And I owe all that to Alcoholics Anonymous and the people in it. God bless you. And we'll tell you this little story, and this is over. In North Carolina, they have a race every year. And uh, it's a horse race, and uh, whoever wins the race is the, is the man for the year. Like 12 or 14 people in the race, and all the fathers are in the winning circle except one. And there's one father back in the barn. And the guy said to the guy in the barn, why aren't you out in the winning circle with all the rest of the fathers? And the father looks at the guy in the barn and says, listen, if my son wins this race, he will not need me. But if he loses, I want to be here for him. And I'm glad you were here for me when I got here. Thank you very, very much.